Around 10 or 20 years ago, the way shares were traded was that you'd call up your broker and they'd get in touch with the traders on the floors who were placing buy and sell orders. But this eventually came to an end and the way shares are traded has had a massive shift. Now it's gone completely electronic and securities are traded easily and effortlessly online. But what about when looking at how companies initially sell those shares? Has that had that kind of monumental change? The answer here is unfortunately not. Companies still have to go through long and costly processes to get their shares and bonds on the public markets in order for us to trade. Nivora is one of the startups working in this space to help digitize this process. Today, we are going to be hearing from one of the senior managers from Nivora, as well as two fintech experts from Linklaters. It's a great episode, so let's get straight into it. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Linkubator podcast series. Today, we have with us Ricky Cohen, legal product architect and general counsel at Nivora. And we also have with us Richard Hay, the UK head of fintech at Linklaters and Lisa Chang, a corporate lawyer at Linklaters who focuses on the fintech sector. So before we start, would you like to introduce yourselves for some of our listeners? Sure, well, I'll start. So my name is Ricky Cohen um, and I work at Navura, which is a a tech company that provides a platform that will automate a a securities issuance. Uh, And so for those who don't know, a security would be something like a share, or in our case, the thing that we're most focused on, a bond, Uh, basically a debt, a loan that gets traded in the capital markets. Uh, Before doing Navura, I I was at ANO for many years, and I I spent a lot of that time working with with, uh, my colleagues and counterparts at Linklaters, uh, basically doing these transactions, uh, which is a big part of, of of these firms' practices. And the process, as you find out if you go into law, is is quite a manual one. It requires millions of emails that clog up your inbox. It requires you to still take documents and mark them up by hand and send them over. And that's how we make comments and negotiate contracts. And then maybe it's track changes. But either way, you're, you're copying things from one place and, and putting them in another. And after many years of doing that, it sort of occurred to me that there was probably a better way, given that I could get any product I wanted in the world delivered to my house the next day or listen to any song or movie um, whenever I wanted on my phone on the way to work. Uh, and yet here we were still doing things in a fairly archaic fashion uh, in relation to capital markets. So I, I, I met Navura and after a while of working with them, joined. And that's what we do. We provide a platform that makes life easier for people in capital markets uh, in the same way that Amazon makes your life easier if you want to go shopping or Spotify makes your life easier if you want to listen to music. Super. So, um, so I'm, I'm Richard Hayes. So I, as, as you mentioned, um, Hamza, I head up the UK uh, FinTech initiative and I also act as a point of strategic coordination across, across the firm. And as, as Ricky says, you know, basically all things are, are going digital. And, um, and we at Linklaces are, you know, are really focused on, um, on that digital economy. And, and so my role really relates to the, the, the financial side of that. So what does that actually entail? So we've been working um, for a number of years now on large um, blockchain projects, um, a lot of digital innovation in the payment space, obviously in the, in the capital market space as well, been heavily heavily involved with, with uh, Ricky and the, the, the Nivora team. Um, internally as well, we've been really focused on 
upskilling our lawyers, um, giving them the tools, and we'll talk about this a, a little bit, but giving them the tools that, that really bring them into, into the, the 21st century, as, 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 as Ricky points out. Um, and my name's Lisa Chang, um, and as Hansa said, I'm a, a corporate lawyer um, at Linklater's. Um, I work within our corporate team here focusing on M&A um, and work a, lo a lot with startups within the fintech space um, and also for a lot of our sort of incumbent clients within the sector as well um, who are looking at different opportunities um, of how they can access um, the, the, the digital age um, and how they can you know, look to change their existing businesses um, or make investments and enter into partnerships um, with startups and other challenges within the fintech space. Great. Well, I've been following Navora for quite a while now, and it's an interesting business that has achieved some great milestones. But before we get into that and into the nitty gritty parts of fintech and legal tech, um, it would be great to get a bit more background into Navora and how you focus on automating the issuance of securities. Sure. Um... So, so as I mentioned, we, we provide a platform, uh, basically mostly to big banks and also market infrastructure providers. By market infrastructure, I mean things like stock exchanges and clearing systems, and also law firms, so that all the various parties to a capital markets transaction, and as I was sort of saying at the beginning, particularly a debt capital markets transaction, can come onto the platform and do digitally what they would currently do manually. Now, really, we look at three things when we talk about automation, because people say, I'm going to automate, and what does that really mean, right? We're not yet living in a world where you can say, Alexa, issue bond, and be done for the day, right? So there are really three things we look at. And the first of those is, is the provision of a platform, the ability, a web-based platform, for instead of people having to have millions of conference calls and emails, to land somewhere and go through a workflow by which I mean a nice step-by-step, -step, easy process to execute a particular transaction. We're focused on debt capital markets, but actually the technology we have could be applied to pretty much any transaction. You could do it with your house or whatever you might want. Um, as a result of going through that workflow, you automate the documentation that you need for that particular transaction. So that's the second thing you need, an automated suite of legal documents. And the third, which we think is, is the clever bit, is in, a, in a, most transactions, but particularly in capital markets, part of the process is passing information around your, your ecosystem, all the various different people that you need to do things in order to make that transaction work and, and flow the way it's supposed to. And there are a whole, in capital markets particularly, there are a whole raft of middlemen, basically, who do a lot of the functions. And they need information, and that information comes from legal documents. And historically what's happened is the legal documents are passed to them. They get a big thousand-word prospectus, and they will go through it and manually copy out bits of information into their systems to make it work the way it's supposed to. Now that we are, through our, through our platform with our technology, and we might come onto this in a bit more detail, we're able to give them that information in the form they want automatically without them needing to manually copy it. So those three things, a nice workflow, user-friendly one, uh, a, a suite of automated documents, and a seamless data flow around a marketplace are what constitute an automated instrument. That's what we do. Sure, and I think you were touching on Nivora's general purpose legal markup language, which having read about it, is helping to get data to be readable by both humans and machines. Would you mind unpacking that a bit more? Yeah, so th this is quite important because it, this is really what puts lawyers at the center of the process and to be honest, a big reason why I left my old job and, and I'm doing the one I'm doing now and why they wanted me to come. Um, so 
I mentioned those three things, the workflow, the documents, and the data flow. All of that is made possible if you structure the data that sits within legal contracts that underpin these instruments, because we spoke at the beginning about what a security is, but really a security at its core is a legal contract. That, that's what these things are. Uh, they're legal contracts, and then you've got electronic systems that manage the life cycle of them, but they're legal contracts. So what we do is we structure the data in the legal contract, and once we've done that, we can upload it to our system, and the output are the three things I mentioned, the workflow, the automated documents, and the data flow. Um, so how are we doing that? Well, we structure the data within the legal contracts using something called the general purpose legal markup language. It's something that Navura developed. Uh, I, I did a lot of work at that uh, in, my early in, the, in the early days when I was still at ANO. Um, and obviously it's now something that we're open sourcing and working with a number of big firms, particularly Lynx, uh, on, on pushing that in the market and using it in documents. So we formed a consortium uh, of Linklaters and a number of the other large firms to start the open sourcing process and actually very soon we'll be expanding that membership to include a lot of the, the capital markets infrastructure. So that's something open source, anyone can use it, you can put it into a document and once it's there you're able potentially to then automate everything that flows from that document. So that's what we're doing with the general purpose legal markup language. Richard, it would be great to get your perspective on this as well, um, especially seeing as Linklaters is a part of the consortium of law firms that are helping to push the general purpose legal markup language out there. Um, and also following from that, it would be good to get a bit more of an understanding about what kind of technologies Linklaters is working on as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. So as, as Ricky pointed out, I think the, the, one of the core attractions and, um, and main features of, of Navora's platform is this, this fact that it places the legal docs right at the center of, of, of the ecosystem and, and the role of a lawyer. And so, the, so we've recognized Pretty, pretty early on in, in discussions with, with Ricky and the, the team at Navora that, that that was a really fundamental shift in, in not just the role of the lawyer, but, but also leads to the need to upskill our lawyers. So, you know, all the way from trainees right up to, to partners in, in Linklaters, we have teams here in, in London, in Europe, in Asia, in the US now, all um, uh, being upskilled in how they can use the, the general um, purpose legal, legal markup language, GLML in order to tag documents and, and make them capable of being automated end-to-end -end, um, in, in, in that process. And it's, it's, it's quite a, so Ricky and, and team have created a really straightforward tool that, that you know, as soon as you get the hang of it, you, you're, you can very quickly tag, tag capital markets documents. And, and again, you know, that, that changes the role of the lawyer because from that tagging process, then all kinds of downstream operations, all of the, you know, um, everything that needs to happen in order to, to issue capital markets instruments can happen. And it, it's worth saying as well that, the, not to get sort of too arcane about it, that tagging process and markup languages and so forth, this is all designed for lawyers to use. It's all human readable, right? It's not, we're not saying you need to come in and start coding. Uh, Richard mentioned the tool, the tool, to, to mark up a document in legal markup language is a little plugin that sits in Microsoft Word that you use when you're doing a document. And you'll know this, Hamza, but for those who are about to come into practice, you know, a lot of the job, particularly as a trainee and a junior lawyer, is going through documents that are full of square brackets and blobs and filling out those square brackets and blobs. What we do is we label a lot of those square brackets and blobs. So instead of having a blob, you say interest rate or you say maturity date. And that means our system can now understand what that is as well as a human being can understand it. 
And um, and from a from if you think about it from a client's perspective, so um, you take uh, take the, the you know the current capital markets process. So the end result of of the Linklaters or you know other other firms' work products at the moment is a is a, a sort of quote unquote dumb PDF, right? That that then or Word document, whatever the whatever the format is. And then somebody, either in an investment bank or clearing um, uh, within the clearing systems or you know other financial institutions, need to then pick that document up and manually enter the relevant data into their systems. And so, you know, again, this this using the GLML and Navora's platform, it picks up the relevant data and, and then and then feeds that straight through into the system. Turning to to kind of more general um, issues faced by by the the. Um, consumers, I guess, of, of legal work product. When you think about historically, the the database of agreements that many of our clients have, they're in all sorts of different formats, all different you know different forms. So they can have piles of agreements, you know, literally physical agreements in storage. They can have databases of all different you know PDFs, scans, some scans, some that are searchable, some in Word document uh, in in Word format, etc. And they, so they face this, this huge data challenge, which is actually figuring out you know, what is the latest version of the agreement. Let's say an, an agreement has been amended 10 times. You have to look at the original agreement and then 10 subsequent amendment agreements to figure out what the actual agreement is. And so, again, we recognized quite, quite, um, quite early on, I think, that, that that is a massive data challenge faced by, faced by um, uh, our, our clients. So you can, how do you solve that for them? Well, you can do one of two things. You can take their historic database of agreements and try to apply technologies, including AI, to, to those agreements and extract or run analytics on those agreements. Now, um, um, so we, we have created a number of, of products, that, that bespoke products for clients that do precisely that. And that works very well in, in um, sort of controlled um, settings, so agreements that are very standardized uh, and where you can sort of teach the machine to extract relevant information. But far more powerful is digital from the outset. And so much of, much of what we've been focusing on now is the creation, as Ricky pointed out, of structured data from the outset, where the document is, is in digital form the minute that it's agreed to. And so the, the, a number of products that we've actually developed in-house with, with, um, uh, with a, a team of internal developers in, in the Nakoda team here is, uh, so for example, is the Create. So we've created a very straightforward workflow tool that is extremely powerful and that enables derivatives contracts to be negotiated digitally and online. And it's, it's quite cool. So if you, you know, as you input the various different um, elections and changes, you can see the agreement being updated in real time, and then it produces, you know, it spits out a, a, um, a digital version of the agreement with structured data. Well, it's really interesting and exciting to see that lawyers can get involved in the structuring of data, which I think is a very important dimension for lawyers or students who are coming into the industry to understand. So it's great to see how platforms such as Novora and IsdaCreate are are helping to automate some of these processes and in turn reducing costs and increasing efficiencies. So how do you think platforms such as these will disrupt law firm departments? And following from that, what is your take on the notion that robots will replace lawyers? Are we all going to be taken over by, by robots? Um, 
It's, I mean, it's, it's definitely a question that, that bears, um, bears asking and, and, and answering. I think um, uh, and it'd be great to, to get uh, Ricky, Ricky's views as well. Obviously, the, personally, I think, is it going to have an impact on the day-to-day -day work that we do as lawyers? Definitely. And it's really important that we upskill and that, we, that we, um, our, our lawyers follow, follow that, that trend. They're extremely powerful tools, but at the same time, they are tools that, that can automate um, and actually help the day-to-day -day work that, that you know, junior lawyers, more senior lawyers um, carry out. So as, you know, as, as uh, Ricky pointed out, things like filling out blobs um, and uh, you know, populating fields in, in template contracts, actually, you know, that's probably a task that is best automated now. And we, you know, we and other law firms um, can focus on the, 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 the higher value adds um, products for for our clients. Yeah, I mean, look, I'd, I'd agree with that. I think I th a few things in terms of robots taking over. No, um, so and people talk about AI and all the things AI will do. AI is is, is it, it's rules based machine learning, right? It's not really intelligence in the way that we understand intelligence. Um, and being honest, I'm not sure that it will be in a state to take over what a lawyer does frankly, in any of the careers of people even coming into the profession now. Um, the tools that we're working on and, and delivering to the market are, are efficiency tools. It's helping people do their jobs better uh, and spending time on the things that, as a Linklater's lawyer, you can earn good money for and not spending time on the stuff that generally actually law firms aren't getting paid for very well anymore because one of the big kind of, I think, sort of changes that I've seen in my career, I started, I started as a lawyer sort of September 08, right? So just in the middle of the financial crisis and, and my whole sort of career has been dictated by that. And it has been a gradual kind of pressure on costs. And it, it's an obvious contrast to when I was a trainee in the middle of the boom when no one really worried about that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of that kind of manual work that actually law firms find it much harder and harder, you know, find it much harder to get paid for nowadays. Um, and there are an increasing number of tools that will allow you to be more efficient with that stuff and spend the time on the clients do care about, the strategic advice, the telling people what to do in difficult situations, handling an awkward negotiation with the other side. That's where lawyers are really adding value. You're not adding value by populating blobs. Um, so we're giving a, I, mean, I think ours does a little bit more than that, but we're giving you a suite of tools to, to do your jobs easier. And the other thing I'd say is, people get worried about technology. This is not the first time that technology has come in and changed how we do things and it has not put law firms out of business. You could very well have looked at email and thought, what on earth am I going to do with my time because a large chunk of my day involves printing out documents and taking them down to the post room and sending them out around the city. Now I'm going to be able to do that instantly. And you could have looked at Delta Views and Compare Docs when they came in and said, oh my word, what will all our trainees do because they were until now physically doing blacklining and now they run it through a little program. So all, and, and, and what's happened in every single technological advancement, and it's not just law, it's everything else you can think of, volumes have gone up. Every time you make things easier, people do more of it. So our expectation with this, and particularly capital markets, is no, it's not going to mean that capital markets lawyers have got nothing to do anymore. You'll see an increase in volume. When we look at the big stuff we've done with clients, the likes of Santander, some of the other large financial institutions, they are doing this not to do something cool in tech, but because they see it benefiting their clients, effectively the ability to bring corporates and, and clients of theirs who can't currently access capital markets to the capital markets. They can increase liquidity and that in turn fuels economic growth. That's why they're doing it. Um, 
So, and, and that's true of probably most of the banks we're working with. That, that's the overall vision. It's just to make it easier for their clients to get to market and to do so in greater volume. And anything that increases volume is going to be good for lawyers. I think the, the other aspect to this is um, it's, not just the, it's not just the carrying out of tasks that, that um, uh, is, changes somewhat, but it's also, you know, we need to upskill our lawyers to actually understand how many of these platforms work, how the underlying technologies work. And, and so, you know, for example, we, um, uh, so uh, as we'll discuss, we um, advise a number of uh, digital challenger banks. If you, you know, you go into a room with a digital challenger bank and you don't know what an API is, that's, that's a problem, you know, and, um, and so, um, or, you know, similarly in, in the context of Nivora and, and others that have done, um, you know, really forward thinking work in terms of settling financial instruments on a, on a blockchain, you need to understand how, you know, how the consensus mechanism works. And so there's, there's a, there is a, um, a, a piece as well where as law and technology merge a little bit around the edges, we need to, to get better and, and we've, we've done a huge amount of, of, of work on this in, in um, having our lawyers um, conversant in, in these technologies and also you know, able really to, to interact with their counterparts, uh, clients who are really living, breathing um, uh, this on a day-to-day -day basis. One strong theme that has resonated quite a lot in our conversation so far is the overlap between law, technology, and financial services, it seems that there's a common movement amongst experts from various disciplines coming together and forming partnerships. Um, there's also support from the government, for example, with the Financial Conduct Authority's regulatory sandbox, which helps fintech companies to test their ideas and their products in a real-world environment. So having said that, how crucial have such support and collaborations been for Nivora in its journey so far? Yeah, so I think that's very important. I'll, I'll, I'll talk about the collaboration and then we'll come on to the sandbox. So the point Richard makes about collaboration is key. So when I first started looking at technology and its impact on legal practice and capital markets, as I said at the time, I was just a, 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 I was a, a normal transactional lawyer uh, at A&O. I wasn't uh, looking particularly at tech, and I certainly have no tech background or, or any of that. But what became obvious very quick was that the, there was this enormous gulf between practitioners, be that lawyers or bankers, people on the coalface of these transactions and in the markets, who understood the law, they understood the markets, they understood business, they had absolutely no idea what technology could do or can do for you, because it's not something that comes up in your day job. Similarly, you go to these kind of conferences, whatever, you've got these technologists who understand the technology back to front and all these cool things you can do with it, but absolutely no idea how to apply it because they don't understand the legal landscape, they don't understand the markets, uh, they don't understand what you're allowed to do and what you're not allowed to do, and often we get frustrated when you say things like, well, no, that doesn't really work. Um, but you have to have a forum to bring those together. And actually, I think that's one of the things that, that we at Nabura have done very well, and we've you know, really helped, I saw some of the tech spaces and incubators we've been in, where um, you, you have forums in which technologists and practitioners can come together, work things out, look, sit over a desk and say, all right, here's a problem, how do I, how do I go through that? And if you look at Navura now, we're a company of, we've got some capital markets lawyers, we've got some quite senior guys who used to be bankers, um, 
and we've got obviously some very good technologists and we can put all those together and that's effectively what, what how our business runs. So that ability to bring all that together is key and I think that's been one of the sort of really good positive trends of the last three years. Um, on the sandbox, uh, so we have been in every one of the, in, involved in somewhere or other, every one of the, the, the five regulatory sandboxes that have been so far. Uh, they are fantastic because it is a way to work in conjunction with the regulator, the FCA, to do things that would ordinarily require you know, full-scale authorizations and permissions. So in that context, Navura did the first bond on a blockchain, uh, did the first cryptocurrency denominated bond, did the first structured product on a blockchain. Now, to do those transactions, Navura would ordinarily have had to have been authorized by the FCA with all the costs that that involves. You have to go to a law firm, you have to get advice, you have to go through a whole process because you're hundreds of thousands of pounds and this is an early stage startup, so it's not viable. Uh, what the FCA have done is created a very controlled space in which uh, an early stage company trying to do something innovative can do things under their watchful eye um, without taking too much risk to see if it's possible. And then when they see it possible, you have the limitations lifted and you come out an authorized firm, which is what Navura's done now. That has been a fantastic way to foster innovation and, and allow people to try things uh, that otherwise would just be prohibited by the cost of, of doing it. And, and it's really early stage companies and tech companies that are gonna be doing those kind of things. It's really good to see that there's such encouragement from, from different sides. Um, and Lisa, I just wanted to get your, your perspective from the corporate side as well. Um, what is Linklater doing in the broader fintech space? So I think you know we're doing quite a wide variety of different things in the fintech space. Um, certainly we are seeing a lot of our clients enter into partnerships um, and consortium type arrangements. Um, and it's in a slightly different context. It might not be so much necessarily within an incubator or in a sort of with a regulator um, sandbox environment that Ricky mentioned. Um, but certainly on a more commercial level, um, a lot of our clients, um, particularly more established corporates um, in, in the fintech space, you know, they may want to invest in a, in a fintech startup or there might be something that a fintech startup has, whether it's a piece of technology um, that they're interested in. Um, and for a lot of these established corporates, you know, doing a wholesale acquisition um, in you know, a full M&A process on, a, on a, a startup that more likely than not is still loss making, um, can carry quite a bit of risk for them. So one of the ways that we're seeing corporates enter into the fintech space is to enter into these partnerships with startups. And it might be that they make a small minority investment to begin with, um, but actually the investment becomes secondary to the strategic partnership and the collaboration um, that they're trying to establish um, with the fintech startup. Um, so we're seeing quite a lot of work in that space um, and corporates doing those sort of um, investments. Um, we're also seeing, um, particularly um, in the bank space, a lot of consortium work. Um, so as people look to establish new technology um, or new ways in which they want to change the infrastructure or how things are done in the market, um, one of the great ways to do that is to bring other people along with you. Um, and certainly we are seeing a lot of our bank clients enter into consortiums. Um, as they seek to set up different or explore different opportunities, whether it's setting up new payment tokens or settlement um, regimes or whatever it might be. Um, but they do see consortiums as a way to sort of de-risk um, some of the issues and some of the investment that they may need to outlay up front, um, but also to bring along the key players within the market, within the industry with them. 
um, so that you know actually they do come up with a successful product. They've got buying already from a large number of participants in, in the space. In terms of um, Linklater's work in the space, we know that there is a collaboration with Crowdcube now. Would you mind speaking a bit on that as well, please? Our collaboration with Crowdcube um, has come about um, on the basis of our you know, big focus and investment in fintech. Um, and Crowdcube, um, we have entered into a partnership with them. They're effectively like a crowdfunding platform for startups. Um, and as part of our partnership with Crowdcube, um, we are offering to provide um, legal services to some of the startups that Crowdcube have funded. Um, we provide training and workshops for them, um, access to our know-how um, and other bits and pieces. And actually, it's a fantastic opportunity for a lot of junior lawyers within the firm to get involved um, in the tech work and in fintech work. Um, and, and you know, we see it as a great way as well to get to know a lot of startups um, within the space, um, to understand their businesses, and also just to keep track on what's going on in the market. Yeah, so it's great to see that there's such engagement from, from lawyers in the fintech area. Um, so Nivora has been collaborating with law firms and is working with many lawyers. And Richard and Lisa, you both are currently, currently lawyers as well, leading in the fintech space. Um, how can young lawyers contribute to the tech ecosystem and what skills can they bring? So I think that there are increasingly a lot of opportunities for younger lawyers to get involved. Um, I think in terms of opportunities, there are both client opportunities and internal opportunities. Um, in terms of client opportunities, um, it's, it is certainly a bit of a cliche, but it is true that when you do work with startups, um, you know, you know, different fintech companies or challenger banks, that often your clients um, are, are definitely much younger than perhaps you might find with more traditional clients. Um, and I know that, you know, I certainly enjoy working um, with people that are of a similar age. Um, and, you know, I think Richard mentioned earlier, you know, who are very familiar with technology. Um, and, and I think it's important that as a legal advisor that you understand their business um, and that you, you know what their technology is, you know what they're trying to achieve. Um, and I think actually younger lawyers um, are very much more tapped into that um, than I think some of the more senior lawyers in the firm. Um, so it's a great opportunity for them to get close to clients, um, to understand their business um, and, and get involved. I think internally as well, you know, I think as a firm Linklater's, um, you know, I started my career here as a trainee um, and it's certainly way back then. Um, it's always been very encouraging about um, having an innovative mindset, um, allowing the lawyers to challenge the way things have been done, um, to come up with new ideas, um, and to really look at ways in which we as a firm can work more efficiently. And there's a great team here um, that focuses a lot on legal tech. You know, I've spent a bit of my time looking at legal tech as well. Um, and you know, identifying the ways in which it can really improve the way we work, not just internally to be more efficient, but actually in terms of our delivery to our clients. Um, and as a junior lawyer, I think you know, the firm very much encourages you to participate in that. And I think I'd just to add to that, I think if we look at some of our fintech clients that we have today as a firm, 
a lot of the initial introductions were made, you know, several years ago. And in fact, you know, one of them in particular, I know um, we were introduced because one of the more junior lawyers in the team went to law school with someone at that um, fintech who suddenly found themselves in a head of legal position um, at a very rapidly fast growing fintech company um, and reached out for help. So actually, um, if we look at that transformation for that particular client over the years, you know, they are now, you know, a much larger company they were back then. And we've been able to help them along that journey. Um, and really, it was very much because of a more junior member of the team sort of putting their hand up, you know, meeting up with their friend for a drink or whatever it might be. Um, but actually, you know, embracing the opportunities of, of the sector and, and recognising that actually there's a lot of value that they can add, notwithstanding the fact that they might see themselves as being, you know, less experienced or, you know, younger than perhaps other lawyers um, in the practice. Um, and now to the final question um, that we ask all of our speakers. Can you tell us um, the name of a book that, that you found really interesting that you think might be helpful for our listeners um, and that might have had an impact on your perspective in some way? Who wants to go first? <laughs> I'll, I'll, go, I'll go first. It's a, it's a book I've only just read. Um, but it's quite, I think it's a good one if you're interested in tech. Uh, and actually, it's a really good one if you're interested in technology within the, and you, but you're coming into a firm like Linklater. So you're a large established institution. It's called Loon Shots. Uh, and it's, all, it's looking basically at, at a, a number of really in, uh, impressive innovations that have happened throughout history from Steve Jobs at Apple through to things they did in the Second World War and how really great innovators were able to foster that sort of delicate balance between massive institution and, and how those work and then sort of, you know, small innovative labs, etc., that can come up with some crazy ideas and how to go about pushing those ideas through. So if that is something you're interested in and, and you're looking at working at a big institution, I would, I would strongly recommend Loon Shots. Um, that is a great book, actually. Um, one of the most interesting books I've, I've read recently, actually, is, is um, called It Doesn't Have to Be Crazy at Work, which is by a couple of guys that, that founded a software company called Basecamp. And they basically um, have explained how they've set up an, you know, an environment in which they can, they can achieve a... Uh, you know, a balance between very, very high levels of growth, but but also by implementing some some really simple efficiencies, uh, you know, achieve a uh, an overall environment that doesn't give up any of the upside, but also is just a great place to work. And we're always, you know, we're always looking at, at new ways of doing business, at ways that we can be more efficient. And just hearing, you know, from this book as well, hearing fresh ideas, I guess, is always it's always a really interesting, you know, an interesting counterpoint. I sort of struggled with this a bit. I have to say, most of the books I tend to read at the moment are like the Gruffalo for my children, which seems to be on repeat. Yeah. Read the Gruffalo. <laughs> I, I highly recommend it. Um, but actually, you know, thinking about it, um, it's probably it's a book that was um, it's a bit cliched. Um, it was released several years ago, but I would say Sheryl Sandberg's Lean In. Um, has a book which you know I do recommend um, sort of you know particularly young young professionals coming into the workplace environment. Um, I would say you know I read it about five years ago when a lot of my peers were reading it and we were probably all at that sort of stage in our careers thinking about you know decisions that we had made in our lives or, or where our careers were going. Um, and whilst 
I certainly don't think I agree with everything that she says in the book. I think what the book um, has done has placed quite a lot of focus on, you know, the working working woman, the working mum, and some of the challenges that women face in the workplace. And I think with Cheryl's background in the tech space, um, you know, it sort of particularly resonated. Um, So it's a book which I think should be read because I think it does raise a lot of interesting ideas Um, And I think particularly in the current discourse around diversity and inclusion, um, I think it's one of those books which um, has, has quite a strong message. I've really enjoyed the conversation and thanks so much for taking the time. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks very much, appreciate it.